Hello, my name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are, well, off my shelf, where we go through my DVDs and talk about the movies that are in my collection. In this inaugural episode, I am sitting here with Mike Suderman, a friend and fellow movie enthusiast. We are going to talk about the movies 12 Monkeys and 1984. Welcome, Mike. Hi. How are you doing on this absolutely sweltering day in my unair conditioned hot apartment? Uh, well, uh, you're being very polite about how sweaty I am, so uh, pretty well, actually. <laughs> that's really good to hear. <laughs> um, actually, I think that's a perfect way to get into 12 Monkeys because I find throughout the whole movie, everybody in that movie, they just look sweaty. Like, they yeah. haven't taken a shower in months or years, which I think is interesting because the whole thing is about germs and a disease. That's a good point. I so, hadn't thought about that in that way. Yeah. But definitely when I was rewatching it, I was just shocked at how unglamorous, like, intentionally unglamorous Bruce Willis is. Like, he has two different delousing scenes. <laughs> That's... <laughs> which, yeah. to your germ point, I mm. mean, it's it's... Uh, you know, they're obviously it's not germs, it's lice, but like, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's that's not usually what some somebody like who is a main like leading man tends tends to go through. And mind you, those are the only two scenes with nudity in it, and it's him getting scrubbed down in both yeah. areas, which I was just like. Brad Pitt also fine. moons the. Uh, uh, oh. Sorry, I. Yeah, that's true. Sorry. Most yeah. of my notes are about asses. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to have a sensor warning at the beginning of this episode maybe oh know. yeah 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 sorry it's gonna get blue <laughs> oh that's so cool uh anyways um so uh i have to admit on my rewatching, i haven't watched this in probably five or six years it's just been sitting there and this movie has not aged well and i found myself crazy bored Okay. But I remember when I was younger and I watched it, it was kind of like, like it didn't, like it almost kind of blew my mind, like, but it definitely was like, it got my brain working, you know? What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I guess I'm curious about what you think didn't age well. Like, obviously, there's a major twist in the movie. Yeah. So, um, I'm assuming everybody who's listening to this has seen the movie, so we don't have to like recap. Okay. But. I know it's like, 20, 30 years almost. Um, spoiler alert? I, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more just, do, we don't even need to tell them the movie. They're familiar with the yeah. major plot points. Yeah. Uh, the, um, like, obviously, there's a, the twist that if you're aware of it, like, some a lot of the tension might be out of the movie. But, like, wh what specifically do you think didn't, didn't age well about it? I don't know. I found the, the pacing um, and... Like, Madeline Stowe, like, her character is treated horribly by everybody in the movie. Like, everyone. Her fellow, her fellow colleagues. Um, Bruce Willis's character pretty much just manhandles her and kidnaps her. Um, and it's just, like... And she, I mean, she's the only person who really physically gets attacked by, like, crazy people and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, why are they treating her so horribly? Um, I thought the overall pacing of the movie was just a lot more, I don't know, it, was, it did this weird, really slow, then super fast, then really slow, then super fast thing. So it was like very long periods where I just got bored. Okay. You know, and I don't know, I just, it just didn't, I really had a hard time sitting down and just watching the movie. Okay. Which is not yeah, usually yeah. an issue, especially since I'm a big fan of Bruce Willis, so, you know. Fair, yeah. fair. No, I, I, uh, I had the opposite reaction. I, I probably had not seen it in five years, similar, and I was like, I was instantly transported back to that bit. Really? But yeah, I, I loved it. I was oh. just like, oh man, I can't believe how great. Like the, the second the movie started and he's in that cage and oh. he's being volunteered, it's. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm back to where I like love that movie, love the movie. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, um, like, I totally agree with you about, uh, I've got her name written down. Madeline Stowe? Name, Madeline Stowe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dr. Dr. Catherine Rayleigh mm. uh, is um, d totally mistreated. Uh, some of it, I think, is intentional and some of it isn't. Uh, yeah. But, like, the, the talking down 
from the the uh, senior doctor mm-hmm. is I think perfectly crafted as like the old crusty guy mm-hmm. who's like intentionally not listening to the to to the fe- new female like doctor because psychologist, yeah. psychologist who who is. Uh, because he has he has this line where he's like, "Oh, you're being so defensive," and she's like, "No, I'm just trying to explain my position." See, you're being defensive again. Like it was just yeah, because there's no comeback from that. There's no defense from that because everything she says, he thinks is being defensive. But yeah, she's just making her point, and she's sitting there, not being angry, talking in very calm words, and he's like, "You're being defensive," and I'm just like, "What is happening?" Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It was just really frustrating to me, that whole scene. I, absolutely. But I think at least that part of her mistreatment was intentional because the the doctor is set up as a, like, old guard, like, one flew over the cuckoo's nest type doctor. And mm. she's, like, the newer doctor. It's like, hey, maybe we should listen to the... Uh, the, 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 the to, well, no, maybe we should listen to the, the people who are in our care instead of just, like, drugging them and, and shackling them. Yeah. Uh, like, just just stuff like... Uh, the fact that the 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 old doctor uh, who maybe I have his name now, um, uh, doctor no doctor Gwen's the other guy sorry yeah um, is uh, like he's smoking in the in the hospital all the time like it's just very intentionally like he is the old crusty yeah. like old guard of the doctors that and- actually. So threw me off this smoking. I'm like, he's indoors. Why is he smoking? I'm like, oh yeah, it's the early '90s. They smoked everywhere. Still, it was allowed. But but like I I think even in 1995 in hospitals it was like like people weren't supposed to. But mm-hmm. like the old yeah. doctors could you couldn't keep them from smoking. So I think that was the that was that's what I took about about yeah. from. But absolutely, Bruce Willis's treatment of her is like creepy beyond belief mm. and it's just like yeah what but what surprises me about it is that she still despite the fact that she was creeped out by him she still managed to warm to him really easily and that too i found really odd mm-hmm. because i understand that she's a psychologist and she was sitting there and she would ask him questions and listen to him and things like that but And I'm not even talking about the end of the movie where she kind of puts everything together, you know. I'm talking about, like, he's kidnapped her, she's driving her car, she's tied, uh, he's tied her to, like, a bed and everything, and she just goes along with it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. But I don't care if I am a psychologist or if, you know, you are telling me all this stuff. As soon as I get a chance, I'm running away. For sure. That, it, it just blew my mind that she's like, oh, I should stay. It's fine. It'll be okay. You know? Yeah. It was, it was weird. Yeah, yeah. And they, they spackle over it the way that, like, a lot of movies do, where there's um, uh, that one scene where they go into the, um, the like, shanty town or, or not, the, like, the, the, it's like a building with, with a bunch of homeless people in it. Oh, um, that's across the street from, like, the... Yeah, the yeah. So they go in there and uh, and, like, so many, like older movies but it's still like a really terrible trope where it's like oh there's like some random rapist and Bruce Willis punch, like punches him <laughs> and then suddenly like that that's just like used as a as a okay now now the woman tr- like trust the man in yeah. like you see that in a lot of movies where yeah. it's just like oh yeah as long as he's punching at a racist it or a rapist it doesn't matter what the yeah it's what, the whole damsel in distress thing, yeah right? because a damsel if you save her she's supposed to fall in love with you that's yeah the whole thing and yeah like they did it in this movie they've done it in hundreds of movies where no matter how violent or mean or rude like a person is as soon as you're saved all of a sudden everything goes out the window and everything is fine yeah and i was just like that's no. They do the other thing no. too, where like he's wounded and she has to like patch him up. Take and care it, of him. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's uh that's definitely bad. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I know tropes are in films and books and all that kind of stuff for a reason, because they're a storytelling technique that works, but I find sometimes they're so blatant and like the mm. way they're used is just so because unoriginal that it just it just makes me roll my eyes i'm like yeah fine whatever let's continue we know what you're gonna do let's go yeah well 
It also seemed kind of lazy in this movie because they had all the elements set up so that she can do the, like, she, um, like, when she does piece everything together, that makes more sense because, you know, she's been studying for six years this, like, um, Cassandra complex type thing. And uh, um, she's, like, gathered all the photographs, which allow, like, she goes back to her own research to verify the stories. Mm -hmm. So that's all there. So they, I feel like they didn't need, like, they, they could have had a more sympathetic kind of um, uh, moment where, where the two characters come to an understanding before mm. she pieces everything together because he's not a bad guy. Like, mm. the, the fact that it's this, it has to be this, this uh, kidnapping thing for, for such a long amount of time, and especially yeah. then they have, like, that false like this misleading thing about maybe he murdered her and like chopped her up. Yeah. Um, like it was unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. So like, like it seems like the only reason to keep the kidnapping going that long mm. was to, um, was to, to see if they could get like that weird little mystery in, which seemed unnecessary too. Uh, well, and yeah, like I think it's kind of, it's just sort of lazy storytelling when mm -hmm. they, they kind of do that. Because it's true, like at the, because I think at the part where she comes to the, revela the, the realization, she sees the picture and she pieces things together. I think if they didn't have those two scenes beforehand, it would have been much more of a like, oh my God, like she finally gets it. And when she goes back to him, it's a much bigger deal yeah. than, than beforehand, you know, because that just seems... Yeah, they it's just kind of ridiculous. They yeah. spend the time rounding out her character, building mm -hmm. up that she's competent, building up that like over the six year time jump mm -hmm. from nineteen ninety to ninety six, she's developed like a, a professional res respect, and she's like mm -hmm. like from that scene where she's being talked down to it, but at the in the do uh, hospital to like she's giving lectures, she's like well respected in her field. The mm -hmm. old coot is retired, yeah. um, and so. Like they've done all that, and then to throw her into this damsel in distress thing, it's like, what? You you've got all the blocks there. Just put mm. them in the right order, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but that happens. I find that happens with a lot of movies, like these days especially. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many sci-fi movies, especially, seem to have this problem where the story just all of a sudden falls apart because they throw in all these unnecessary things that make that that they think are going to make the movie more relatable. Like for some reason, even if it's a sci-fi story, for some reason there has to be a love scene or there has to be a relationship in it. Um, but why? If you're telling a sci-fi story and it's just something big and outwardly, why can't you just make it based on that? And that's what it feels like, like this movie did was at some point in time, some, some executive told Terry Gilliam, he's like, yeah, this isn't going to work. You got to put like a, a love story in there somehow. That That's how they get together. And then he was just forced to put this one thing in. Yeah. But I don't know. I haven't talked to Terry Gilliam, so I don't know <laughs> how that came together. But that's just my theory on it, just based on the way, you know, it kind of worked out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was executives, obviously. Again, mm -hmm. I, uh, also... Two people have not talked to Terry Gilliam, so I don't even know if we can exactly, really yeah. comment on this movie. <laughs> but um, uh, I think, it, like, there is that whole, um, like, going to the Florida Keys and living life and just being, like, happy, mm -hmm. which, like, so they've got this kind of dual role for her where she's, like, psychologist and, like, voice of reason who can validate uh, his concerns about whether the future is real or not like his experiences are real versus like he's just a crazy person mm -hmm. so she's doing all that stuff but also yeah she's like this this weird kind of love interest and also kind of the the princess at the end of the like in the in the mm -hmm. castle like who's... but she's also like um like a mother figure you know or like oh, a yeah. teacher figure where even though she's the one being kidnapped She's trying her best to talk to him and let him feel his emotions and all that kind of stuff, you know, just to make sure he's okay. For sure. Um, on top of that as well. Um, but I think that also is a testament to the character they created. Because as a psychologist, 
a psychologist would use their abilities to to figure out or get out of a situation. And that's what she did. She sat there and it's like she was like a psychology textbook, you know. He's erratic. He's doing this. Find a way to calm him down. Ask him questions so he can understand why he's doing something if he can't even answer questions that she's right. asking. You yeah. Know? Check and, to see if he has a World War One bullet in his leg. Like, it's yeah. really textbook stuff. But, yeah, like, I think it worked out really well. And, um, but, but again, I mean, overall, I understand why I originally liked the movie. And I understand why it kind of, like, you know, like, expanded my brain a little bit. So yeah, and I yeah. think it's one of those movies, like, I, I remember seeing this in the theater, and I was in like, I don't know, what, 15 or something, 15 when this came out. And um, it was right around the time where I started to get into like, really get into like the sci-fi and the movies and the comic books and all that kind of stuff. And so it was one of those things that was just like, hey, here's the thing. Go into it. It's yeah. cool, you know? So, so I still have like a soft place in my heart for it. At the same time now, I'm just like... Yeah, I don't have to watch it all the time. <laughs> that, that's that's totally fair. Uh, and like I said, like I don't watch it all the time. I haven't watched it in years. Mm. But like, just the sets, yeah. the um, the some of the dialogue is so amazing. Like yeah. I still, I just love the uh, Brad Pitt's like first scene where he's he's telling uh, like uh, Bruce Willis how the uh, like the how to book. Like the reserve TV the TV sh- yeah. channels that you have to do it before the TV airs instead of a- <laughs> program airs instead of after. Um, and then there's a guy who's always talking about something that happened yesterday. Yeah, not on TV. Yeah, yeah, and and throughout <laughs> the whole thing um, on the TV, there's a cartoon playing. So like it, everything he says is punctuated by cartoon noises. Loved it. Like I, that, it was just amazing, uh, amazing stuff. Yeah. And and like uh, that bit where like he's in the chair uh, that like rises in front of the scientists and mm. it, it like slides into the like halfway up to the ceiling mm. and he's just in this crazy place with this globe of of different videos monitors like yeah. staring at him and talking to him like and it's all like different pieces of like the scientists' faces or something yeah like yeah like, um yeah stuff like. Uh, you don't see the time machine until the second time they send him back. Mm. Uh, and when, when they're activating the time machine, the, the scientists are dressed up like they're, they're going to the opera kind of, they're like in weird, like steampunk didn't really exist as a concept yet, but like it was, it was there. And then, and then you find out right at the end that the, uh, uh, at least the the female scientist. She's mm-hmm. like she's in insurance. She's not a scientist at all, and she's like just randomly flinging these people back in time. I, like I just I I love how much implied world building mm-hmm. just like in the first couple of minutes was just there, and it was like I I was I was transported, and I loved it. Yeah. Well, actually, one thing I realized watching it now that I didn't realize before is that. I have no idea how this escaped me so horribly, but in the future, he's a prisoner, and that's why he gets quote-unquote volunteered. And But my whole thing is, before that point, I was always wondering, like, how has... Like, I understand a lot of the world population has died, but why are people living in cages? What's going on? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And I guess because... That's just the most efficient way to stack people. To stack people or something. I don't know. But then um, what really came through on this, like that, like was like that snap, like, oh, he's in prison. He's a prisoner was the part where he actually goes back in time, gets arrested and they do the delousing scene again. I'm like, there's a parallel. They build his world by not telling you anything about it. I show you this one scene so you understand what he's doing because he's not confused by what's going on. Of course, he doesn't like it. But at the same time, it's just exactly the same as the previous one. So you know that the two things are interconnected, you know. Well, and they're offering him a pardon, right? Like yes. the second time he comes back, they, they, they sing to him, which is amazing. I, I feel so, like, I, was, I literally <laughs> was sitting there going, 
It's pretty bad. It's yeah, pretty bad. That's yeah. Pretty bad. But, I, but also, maybe it's one of those things where I knew this before and then just kind of came, but forgot about it and came back to me. Yeah. I'm trying to make myself sound smarter. Never mind. That's fair. No, no, no. You keep back, but <laughs> yeah, keep back. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but because one of my questions about the movie was so, according to the film, it's 2035 when they start sending him back to the past. Mm-hmm. First time he goes back, it's 1990, and apparently the catastrophe happens in 1990, at the end of 1996. Okay? Yeah. So that's what? Uh, about 40 years difference. Mm-hmm. You know, two generations, tech can work out in there, um, which puts Bruce Willis's character around 50 years old. My thing is, is that despite the fact that, yes, it is a dystopian future and a lot of people died. It wasn't a breakdown in technology. It wasn't a physical war or attack. But why does it look like, even though they have a time machine, it looks like technology went backwards. And that's one of the things I didn't understand about it. I know the, the one lady's in insurance and technically she's not smart about anything really. But I mean... I guess maybe the other people are all were also in you know benign jobs before all of this catastrophe happened, but still the technology and and I and the space just seems so. I mean, I know it's fake and everything, but unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I. That's interesting because like that would never occur to me because I'm just like it's so cool mm-hmm. I don't care, um, but, like I just I love everything about the future sets yeah. like every every detail, uh, but um, I mean like you know in in zombie movies and stuff they they always talk about like just how much uh, the infrastructure of of a, of the world collapses if there was that many people dying that quickly right mm-hmm. like so just maintaining the technology is bad and then if you if you consider that um like everybody had to really rapidly move underground they couldn't make in a zombie movie they make use of things that are on the on the surface but they had to get get away from that as quickly as possible and like they're sending up like not even qualified people but like Bruce Willis type people mm. up to just like grab stuff and then they have to like go through this crazy decontamination thing so there's probably tons of like uh you know go up and find something that looks kind of like a power generator and uh bring it back yeah and and so like i think that to me is enough of a hand wave on the the cobbled together uh technology and then and then you have like this weird implied uh, like social strata that like yeah. y- y- you know so you think so what happened was so people were rushing to get underground as quickly as possible and then they pretty much just left everything behind and yes technology like computers and phones and all that kind of stuff will degrade very quickly if left un- unkept or left in like outside or, or anything like that and so when they went back they couldn't really find anything that worked and all the smart people died. Well, it's just that also like tons of people are required to maintain infrastructure, right? Yeah. Like how many people are employed every day to keep the power grid up and, and like, you know, just if all of those people die well, suddenly, yeah. then it like, I think a lot of just basic elements in, mm. of, of society, like all the building blocks that the technology is built on kind of, fall down from the ground up. But I don't know. I'm not a, a disaster expert. Oh, really? Yeah, person, well, because then you would be one of those crazy people from, like, Mission Impossible or something. You want to show everybody take over the world? What? No. No? no. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a very specific reference. Yeah. Okay, never mind. It's yeah. Yes. I don't think I've seen that particular Mission Impossible. That one is Ghost Protocol? Yeah, I don't know if I saw that one. Okay. I think I've only seen one and two. Oh, anyway. I don't watch two. Oh. I, there was a lot of masks. It was pretty good. <laughs> it was horrible. It was terrible. It was oh, absolutely terrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we... So so it's funny, though, because you're talking about uh, in the future, mm. technology degrades. Uh, should we 
just use that as our segue to 1984, or do, yes. you, want to, do you want more to say okay, about... Okay, so uh, we can use that we, as our segue to 1984, that's fine. Um, so, one thing that I, I really have to remember about 1984 is that it was made in 1984. According to the credits, it was actually filmed within the actual time period the movie was set in. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was really interesting in the fact that they insisted that it had to be in the credits mm-hmm. of the movie to be like, no, 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 1984, this could have been us, you know, at that time period, which I yeah. thought was really cool. Um, but yes, in that movie, the technology is horrible. Right. But if you think about, like, the, I mean, the 70s, so they talk about 1972 which was one of the war time periods. And it was since before that. So let's say they started this war and this hierarchy of living in, say, the 1950s or 60s, mm-hmm. right? The technology that they're using in 1984 te- technically matches. Like, it didn't, it didn't go backwards, but it didn't advance. Right, right, right. Right? So I find it acceptable okay. in 1984. Yeah. Because it takes place in 1984, and they set it up that there's no movement forward because they're too busy trying to destroy history to make themselves look good. Yeah, you know, and get Absolutely. people to fit in. Yeah, yeah. So nobody's concentrating on science. Nobody's concentrating on technology or math or kind of just getting pe- people in general out of this gross rut. They're just like, no, no, no. We have to concentrate on making a dictionary that cleans everybody's thoughts. And then we have to go back, look at all newspapers and books and magazines and destroy all of it, except for the things that we think are acceptable. For sure. Yeah. Now, um, had you, have you read the book? As, I did I, not. I was not one of the people in high school that read the book. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And have you, have you read the book since? No. Okay. Um, so that's actually one of the reasons why I bought the movie in the first place was it got to the point where lots of things make references to 1984. Like The Simpsons, there's a Big Mac commercial during, what was it, the Super Bowl. There's lots of movies that make references to to it as well. And one day I saw it in like a bin somewhere, it was probably like five bucks, and I was like, done. Nice. I'm going to watch it. And then I bought it. Um, I remember watching it and hating it. And I watched it and I was just like, this is riveting. This time. Uh, yes. Okay. I actually really liked it. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that John Hurt looks crucially in pain the whole time. And you're just like, is it going to get better? And it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. So so I had not seen the movie before you had proposed this podcast to me. Uh-huh. And and uh, I, w- I wanted to come in for the 12 Monkeys because I, I wanted to talk about that. And I... Uh, I had read the book like back in high school or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, what I wanted to do, I reread the book before I watched it for this podcast. Really? So, okay. yeah, because I wanted to like see if I had something to say about the adaptation. Mm. Um, and I, uh, so I, I read the book. Um, and I, I will say that like basically what you just described about the technology uh, is, is like lifted directly out of the book. Really? That's, that's exactly okay. what they say. They say yeah. that science has stopped. They, mm. they, other than uh, in the, in the uh, effort of, of increasing uh, technology for surveillance, for mind control, and for like war, mm-hmm. um, then, then no other science is being done. Yeah. Uh, and so, so you're, you're banging on that, which is why I, I, I wanted to know if, if you had read the book. Uh, but also, uh, I had, it sounds like the reaction you had the first time you watched that movie where I hated this movie. <laughs> I, I could not, I, like, I, I watched it in, like, two goes uh-huh. because I couldn't get through it the first time. Yeah, okay. Like, it was, oh, like, yeah, yeah. Um, w- like, Winston Smith, the, the hurt is just mm-hmm. so expressionless and just staring into the middle distance like but he's but he's supposed to be right because that's the character like people at that point in time they aren't supposed to have emotion or show any real emotion at any point and and so i agree that it matches the material but it just makes the material boring (laughs) i'm like i don't care if he survives but um 
Uh, it like yeah, no, I I uh, like there were there were some things I really liked about it. Mm. Uh, um, the the opening credits with the big Stalinist letters and yeah. stuff like that is are great. Yeah. Um and uh, and having like recently read the book and then watched the movie because I was like, oh, maybe there's there's some interesting um, uh, adaptation things. I I I was thinking this would be an excellent movie to watch if you haven't read the book because it is so faithful in its in its thing where where really? like okay. almost all the dialogue is just straight out of the book mm-hmm. um the scenes are basically straight out of the book like it, mm. it looks like somebody took the book and tried to put it to film rather than adapting it like okay. like uh i read that um while they were filming this obviously during the time that it was actually set um uh terry gilliam to tie into our our, our theme yeah. uh was shooting brazil and they actually shared some like uh locations really? uh between the two between the two okay. and so like brazil i would say is like a movie where they read 1984 and they're like i get the idea and mm. i want to tell my own story with the themes and ideas of 1984 yeah. whereas 1984 the movie is like we're putting this book we're taking this book putting it on the screen and, and we're just we're just it. putting it there okay. yeah yeah i'm actually really surprised i was i was actually thinking that maybe they took a lot of liberties because based on the content of the film and like the movement of the characters and things like that, I, I assumed that there's quite a few sort of like in internal existential moments like that are just in Smith's head that they they can't translate and then they, they took it apart and they did something else with it on screen. But now that you're saying it's that faithful, it just kind of the the, you're you're absolutely right though there's tons of internal stuff like the first yeah. it's it's interesting because the, the book is kind of written in a three-act structure where mm-hmm. like the first whatever well it's in three parts in the book and it's the first one is like kind of world building just winston whinging about his life and like explaining what what is around okay. and and uh it, the book starts with when he buys the diary and so he starts writing it mm-hmm. and so there's just tons and tons of like internal monologue and like what he's writing in his diary, mm-hmm. and so you get some of those in the in the voiceover. Yes. Um, and then and then it moves on when uh, Julia reaches out and gives him the note that says "I love you," mm-hmm. exactly like the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the middle part is kind of there having a love affair, and then the the third part is the torture. It's yeah. like they get arrested and then they're tortured. Yeah. So it's like it's it's kind of laid out like a movie already. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I think that like that allows the adaptation to be easier if that was the goal. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the, the, the internal stuff, it's mostly like just the scene, but there's a running dialogue in, in his mind about like, wow, this is terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do do that within the film, like you said, because, you know, every time he goes home, he pulls out his little diary and you can hear what he's writing. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, yeah. And the the thing that I found peculiar, or maybe this is, it just goes with the character and why he so wants to break out of this society, is that he speaks in very specific words all the time and very short sentences to very specific people, but he's very quiet throughout his actual days and things. Um, but as soon as he sits down to write... And you hear his internal monologue, it's very poetic and structured in a, you know, um, an artistic sort of way. I found it kind of flowery personally, Um, but I think that sort of alludes to his want for freedom to express things in different ways. Yeah, no, I I think absolutely. Um, You know, the whole inner, inner life is still rich mm. and the other life and and at the end that's what they're trying to beat out of them is the 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 inner life um but uh um that's also why i didn't like it as a movie is that oh, really? because like all the things that a movie can do where you're seeing him do things you're seeing you're you're, you're watching him interact with people those are things that movies have are are strong and you get the visuals mm. of of all the things that are happening yeah. um uh, and uh um and then the 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 like contrast between the inner internal monologues and stuff that's mm-hmm. not something a movie does super well because yeah. it's just voiceover 
and dialogue. So it's like, you didn't need a movie for this? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it goes back to the to user medium, right? It's the show, don't tell, because it's a visual medium, yeah. right? Compared to, you know, if you write a book, you know, you tell because you can't really show. There, there's right. the, the back and forth. Um, yeah, I can, I can totally understand that. But uh, for me, I think... I think it worked with this because it wasn't it wasn't like one of those things where they talk over pretty much the whole movie and they just skip large chunks. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, he's going to go home. You know, he's going to write in his book. You know, what's he writing in his book today? Yeah. You know, you know that kind of thing. Um, and a couple of times, you know, they they forego the 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 the, um, the monologue and they actually show you the page of the book. Which I thought was a really cool way to just switch it up, so people don't get too used to the use of that that one thing, you know. Yeah. Um. So I thought. I, I mean, I was. I don't know. I think it's because I didn't remember the movie as well. Because I think when I bought it, I probably only watched it once, and I was. It's been over ten years easily, um, and this was the first time since. So sitting down to watch it, I was like. Oh wow! Okay, here's the Nazi propaganda. I get it. You know, here's yeah. the this, and here's the Big Brother thing, and there's that reference I saw in those four movies. And <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because it's so clear. I think what the movie was written in 1949. Um, book and was. So, yeah, the book yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it is so clearly like like the full Nazi propaganda style you know like the visuals the type of uh, typography they use yeah um just you know just the even the picture of a big brother staring at you like just the angle of his watching has that very you know that very russian and cold and, yeah, yeah you know so it's clear it was just the influence is there from that point in time and i think um like the book was written in 49. This came out in 1984. There's a 35 year difference. And I think there's actually like, that's pretty much the time period you worked out for, you know, like why nothing is advancing. Yeah. You know, and I think it was probably perfect timing for it. Um, it, it, it was good. And yeah, that, that's Soviet slash Nazi propaganda stuff. Mm. is amazing. Like the, the, the Soviet block letters and the opening credits are great. Um, yeah. In the closing credits, the um, uh, they've got like a they're they're singing the Oceania Oceania um, whatever anthem, yeah, and it's in the style of like the 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 uh, the Red Army Choir, mm -hmm. like it's it's so so good, and yeah. the, the whole like um, you know we Eurasia East Asia thing, mm -hmm. like where where we've always been at war with East Asia, that was apparently supposed to be inspired by the um, the fact that like in World War Two they were allies with the soviets and then as soon as the war ended it's like no no no, the soviets are are the bad guys and 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 germany now like west germany at least is, yeah. is the good guys so yeah. like that was the kind of like no we, we've always been at war with the so like yeah. you know eurasia oh wow uh, okay but I didn't, I didn't put that together okay yeah no yeah. it's it's uh it's it's weird but the, the, i mean there's and there's there's some stuff i, I just want to walk back what my yeah. earlier comments a little bit there's some stuff that the visual really does work well with like um i really like the scene in the in the room where uh julia asks him to turn around and then she puts on the makeup and the dress and he mm. turns around and it's like oh this is it's like a person mm. instead of this automaton that's in a in a coverall or whatever like the, yeah. this blue jumper mm. and then it's like oh she like in this little secret place that they have if she can be like a a human being and that's delivered visually instead of like describing yeah or, or like being described in a book it's, it could just be an impact you can turn around and see her at the same time as as winston does mm -hmm. and it's uh that's cool yeah no that's um, that well that's the thing about that room it was the one space where they could be quote unquote people yeah you know whereas as soon as they left the room they weren't allowed to know each other. They weren't allowed to have emotions. They weren't even allowed to really interact with one another. And so that space was their freedom, you know, to, yeah. to be whatever, even though it was sort of like 
you have freedom in a cage at yeah, the yeah, same yeah. time. Like they were they were trapped there the the whole time. And, and I think that was one of the things that really disappointed me about the movie was the arrest scene mm-hmm. where where they have this this like um little haven, this this uh what they think is a safe place obviously it turns out not to be um and and when the the thought police come crashing in and there's like a ladder that smashes through the window and people like stormtroopers trunk it up the stairs Mm. and and but it like it's just so slow and and like it it didn't feel like like a like a sudden terrible violation of their privacy it just seemed like Oh, there's guys at the window. Oh, they're coming up the stairs. Mm. And and like literally the the I don't know what causes the picture frame to fall off the telescreen, mm. but then Julia's just like, "They can see us now. We can see you now." Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> but throughout that whole scene, both of them were just going through what was going to happen because they knew what was going to happen. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. But like it just it could have been a shock to the mm. to the to me, to the audience. I wanted a shock to be yeah. like, this is their place being like just the reality coming crashing in. I mm. wanted it to crash in, not gonna mumble in and announce itself. <laughs> like um Yeah. And that was another thing I think that uh just uh I had trouble catching on with the movie was just everybody mumbled like i just yes uh, uh my tv was up very loud yeah just so i can hear the words they were saying i i had uh the closed captions on mm-hmm. until i switched to my headphones and i was just like i had to, I had to listen like even in my quiet apartment mm-hmm. uh like um and that and that was it i was, I was like I'm, i go listen on headphones and it's like yeah i restarted the like the whole scene right at the beginning where they're watching like the video and they're all yelling and stuff. Like I knew they were saying something very specific, but because of the way the audio was done, you couldn't hear anything anybody was saying. You couldn't figure out what they were actually yelling. Yeah. And I mean, usually I think it's supposed to be like the frenzy of just following, you know? Um, So you're not really supposed to understand it, but the fact that they were going through and focusing on people and tr- like obviously trying to get across that they are yelling very specific things. Yeah. It drove me crazy. I'm like, what are what is she saying? What is he saying? What is happening right now? Yeah. Um, and then yeah, like you had like it's a movie that's completely quiet for a majority of it. And it's just him saying something or she's saying something. In or an expressionless monotone. Tone voice. Yeah. And but you're still like, wait, what? Yeah. There, there's nothing happening. But what are you saying? <laughs> Why can't I understand you? What's going on? Yeah. Um, like in the the scene where he's being tortured and the guy's just like trying to tell him things. I didn't understand the four finger thing for a little while because I'm like, what is he asking that guy? Yeah. I what? And I like put up all the volume, rewound it a little bit, yeah, yeah. up the volume. And I was like, oh, there you go. Okay, the brainwashing him. Gotcha. And then yeah. it went from there. Yeah. Oh, that was another thing that bugged me. Okay. Two more gripes, two more gripes, and then okay. and then we'll talk about that that finger scene, <laughs> okay. uh, because you know obviously there, there's that's like one of the most famous bits of the movie and yeah. and, and thing. Uh, but um, so so you said that like he's mostly expressionless throughout the whole movie, and that's because he can't show any emotion and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what uh, I think was really like took me out of it was yeah. uh, when young Winston he like steals the chocolate. And he runs out of his uh, like childhood apartment, and he comes back, and he's relaying. It's like, oh, my mother and sister were gone, and uh, you know, I I never saw them again. Mm-hmm. And his whole apartment's overrun by rats. And this is supposed to be like the event that makes rats the worst thing in the world for him. The mm-hmm. room one hundred and one thing, yeah. like like the thing that's going to freak him out more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the moment where that that terror gets hold and he's just lying like against the door frame and he's like huh well i guess on to the next segment of my life like <laughs> no reaction like just, just he he's playing the the older winston which mm. makes sense but like this is still a kid who's done something who like i don't know i i was expecting some kind of 
crazy emotional response. Well, the kid version of it. he hasn't been brainwashed into the by the crazy society yet. Mm-hmm. Like he, or I mean, not not fully. Like he's still a yeah. terrible kid who can steal stuff. Um, but like, yeah. Anyway, I just like. Come on. (laughs) Like, make the rats terrifying so that when it comes back later. Yeah, um, they did just look kind of, you know, they were large. Oh, freaky looking rats. Yeah. But the kid didn't think they were freaky, so then I didn't think they were freaky. Yeah, he just kind of stood there and was like, hey, look, it's some rats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, Mm. well, one more life event (laughs) crossed off. I guess I'll go now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then the, the thing with the fingers... I really didn't like the little special effect where they blurred. Mm-hmm. I was like, like even for 1984, I was like, you couldn't even just like get a, like mess with the focus on the camera or something. Like yeah. it was just looked like a weird super imposition for two seconds. I, had, I was, no, just, I, I was just, I was, no, no, not liking it. <laughs> did not, did not do it for me. But no. so the four fingers or five thing, uh, directly ties to Star Trek Next Generation. Yes. Chain of Command. Yeah. Part there two. There are four lights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And even the machine. Mm-hmm. In the machine. Because in, in 1984, he's got the... It's laid out on the mach- the bed. It's like, and he's getting stretched out. Yeah, he's got like an electric... Whatever it is. And he's like, this this device goes up... Uh, like, uh, allows me to inflict any amount of pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just set it to 40. But you can see it goes up to 100. Yeah. Uh, that, like in that episode, I went to watch it because I I I I, I knew I was like they lifted yeah. the scene, and uh, like obviously I knew the four lights five lights thing is mm-hmm. directly the fingers, but also in that Star Trek episode he has that same thing where he's like when, when he plants the pain device in Picard, well, yeah. and he says almost verbatim like I it can inflict any amount of pain that I desire. Mm-hmm. It was for I, I actually picked up on that as well because I'm like, oh, it's that episode. Yeah. Oh, okay, this is where that's from. Gotcha. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I didn't ex- <laughs> like. I I didn't bring it up thinking that you hadn't picked it up because mm. you're a huge Trekkie. Yeah. I know. So I, I was I, I was excited to talk to it about you because yeah. to talk to about that with you. Yeah. So. No, I I totally get that because I was watching it too and I was just like. Oh, all I can see is like Picard's face, you know, when they come yeah. to the rescue him and he gets up and defiantly he's like, there are four lights. And he walks out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit more hopeful than 1984. Four. Yes. Where, yeah. where he's like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah whatever uh, you want. I'm going to go play chess. But I don't know. Like I actually, I actually found that torture scene to be so, I actually found it really grimy and really malicious. Yeah. You know, like the part where he like, he picks him up off the table and he's like, look at you, you're falling apart. And literally just puts his hand in his mouth yeah. and rips out one of his teeth. And I was, I just cringed. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's a horrible. It's, that yeah. was, that was something they did really, really well. Yeah. And the emaciation of him mm. uh, is, and okay, I'm, I, I apologize for keeping, like we're supposed to be talking about the movies, I keep going back to the book, but that that's like, the mirror scene, the pulling the tooth out yeah. d- directly from the book, like oh, all really? that stuff happens. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like, like basically exactly as presented. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a crazy faithful adaptation, which was yeah. super neat. And, and that I thought they did really, really well. Like you, I, cause I was thinking, you know, uh, this is a low budget movie shot over, mm-hmm. you know, six weeks. They're yeah. not going to have him like lose a bunch of weight and like, or, or like he, and what kind of special effects can they really afford? You know, to to make and they they got it they like did his it. teeth they just falling it. out like mm-hmm. embalding and just yeah oh they made sure that he looked wretched yeah. at that point you know and it's like it's true like he just looked grimy he looked thin he really did look like he was falling apart and they just kept like they just kept going at him yeah. you know and you know and especially like that as soon as he pulled that teeth out of tooth out of his mouth. I was just like, oh, why? Yeah. Oh, that, mm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Teeth and fingernails for me always, yeah. like, mess me up in movies. Like, the funny thing is, is that after that scene, they did they went to the room 101 with the rats, and the 101, like, the rats was not, like, yeah. that, you know, it wasn't that freaky. I thought that was kind of underwhelming, too. Yeah. Like, Cause like it's, because it's terrifying. The actual idea of what's going on. Yeah. That they're presenting is terrifying yeah, you're alive and an animal is going to come eat your face yeah that is 
in itself scary. I don't understand how they could not make it scary. Yeah. Or maybe it's just because the scene before was just so well done yeah, yeah. that this just pales in comparison. Yeah. You know, I don't know which one it is because I saw that and this is horrible, but all I can think of is that scene in Game of Thrones where they had the the guy with the rats on his stomach that would eat through you. I uh, don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't, I don't watch Game of Thrones. Oh my god. I, I, oh my god. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, and But I just remembered how they showed it in Game of Thrones and that looked... And I know it's like 30 years different. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, in Game of Thrones, they made it look so visceral and gooey, yeah. let's call it. Um, and then in this, you're just like, okay, well, well, it's a par- guy with his face by a cage. You know. Yeah, do? well, and part of it is that uh, the rats never do bite him, yeah. right? Like, that, that's, that's something. Like, it's supposed to be this big, suspenseful, like, terrible foreboding thing mm. that makes him break that that he's like oh my god do it to julia do it to anybody else mm-hmm. but don't like i don't care don't do it to me yeah. don't do it to me and so like the the suspense of it and the terror of it, the anticipation mm-hmm. just what yeah they didn't build it up enough so i i do have a question about the ending of the movie then i don't know if this is explained better in the book or not but at the end of the movie he lives Mm-hmm. And before that point in time, I got the impression that anybody who goes against the state, who goes against Oceania, dies. They get hung or they get shot or whatever. But in this, he does the thing, he does the confession, but he lives. They yeah. let him live. Is this... So does that mean like they're not actually killing people? They're just brainwashing them and moving them around? Um, just as a form of control, they're showing that people are getting killed? Or is it just the fact that his wrong is not worth killing for? No, uh, the, I, th- I think they say this in the movie, but I, I don't know explicitly, but, but the idea is that, that they will shoot him eventually. Mm-hmm. The idea, and, and again, obviously there's plain work, filling in of details in the book but but the idea is that after they have tortured him and and put him through everything and and he knows in his heart he gave up julia and mm. he did all these things they let him go because they give him just a little bit of freedom so that um he does the the last step of coming to love big brother mm. um on his own and and after that happens that's when they will shoot him. Is that they they let him go, and the 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 inner monologue that's going on during the chess scene mm-hmm. in the in the book is that um, so there's this the, the the news report exactly like in the movie is that there's this the the um, forces of the enemy are are uh, bearing down on Oceania's control of South Africa, yeah. the territory of South Africa, and uh, they're um, you know, this this could be potentially decisive in their movie, um, but uh, or sorry, in the in the it could be decisive in their war and actually like change the balance of power and all this stuff. Um, and and there's a little bit of him that still is like, oh my god, something's going to change. Oceania is gonna gonna be hurt. Mm-hmm. But then another part of him says, oh, but what if they came around and flanked them this way and then like cut them off and then the the war mm-hmm. like like Oceania would win this this campaign or skirmish or battle or whatever it is um and uh and that's what it, what ends up being reported minutes later is exactly yeah. what he was thinking and then oceana's oh actually it was a big reversal and we had a big yeah, victory yeah. and it's at that point that he is like oh my god I, like i am one with the thinking of the party now mm. and 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 so the the tears at the end are of him like like in the book at least uh, i think it's ambiguous in the movie but in in the book he it, they're tears of joy and love for big brother because he's like i get it now i'm mm-hmm. i'm one and it's at that point then they can kill him okay. it's it's that it, like and they may shoot him 10 years from now yeah. or or but it doesn't matter because the, their whole point is that like until that tiny last bit of resistance they can't they couldn't get that out of him mm-hmm. 
himself. They had to give him the freedom to choose to come back to Big Brother. Yeah. And that, so, so I don't know if that's... That, no, it makes sense. But does that mean he is crying because he knows they could kill him any moment? Or is he crying because of the elation of finally connecting with Big Brother? It's the, I think it's that second one. The, like, I, really? Yeah, yeah. I think okay. that, that's that's the... the uh, uh, you know, and again, like it's very, it's much more left ambiguous in the uh, uh, in the movie, in, yeah. in the movie because I, I think it's intended to be so, and and because you want to pity this poor guy, mm. uh, but in in the book, I think it's more explicit about no, he is uh, uh, he he's just elated. He's like, finally, I'm part of something bigger than myself. Yeah. I'm I I don't have this fear uh, that's that's um, I don't have to worry about all these things about about the past being different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. I get that. Um, so, like, so based on that, like, one of the things I found really interesting about the movie, I don't know if they described this in the book or not, and I guess it goes back to our previous discussion about how you know technology doesn't advance and stuff like that because we're too busy doing whatever. But what I found really interesting is the fact that um, the whole movie is about control, mm -hmm. right? Is about government, Big Brother, controlling everybody and everything they do. But, like, all of the environments within this are so chaotic, you know? Like, everywhere is destroyed, it's rubble, it's, it's, it's you know, just decaying, it's deplorable. Like, it doesn't even look like people clean. Yeah. But at the same time, they're all about control. And, but one of the things... In like modern sci-fi, when it's about control, everything is ser like serene. It's perfect. You know, things are. You know, everything is in white. No, there's no shadows. There's nowhere to hide. Whereas with this, that yes, they've got like helicopters and people who go around. You know, and they have their little flashlights and they peek into windows and stuff. But there's shadows. There's places to hide. There's rubble. It's it's you know it's it is chaotic. Yeah. And what when do you think that change between what a controlling future looks like happened, you know? I I think it comes from the like the source material being written right after the war mm. where um like I think the 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 serene uh like modern sci-fi stuff that you described where where there's the everything's clean and and in perfect order it, that's from like a um a perfect like a society that's trying to control people during peacetime mm -hmm. whereas um the the idea of the chaos i think in in the, in orwell's mind was a little bit that uh if there's this perpetual war going on people are will always be willing to you know, oh, well, we don't have enough food today, but we're not going to rise up because it's not because we're starving. It's because the war efforts on, mm -hmm. right? Like there's rocket bombs falling, like the, the, the things that, that, uh, uh, that like crazy explosion that happens and, yeah. and, and things like yeah. that. Like the people will put up with so much more degradation and mm -hmm. just like, uh, well, the, the boot stamping on the face forever is is like they'll they will put up with it more because it's like oh well you know if only we could win the war against east asia then stuff will get better but until then we just gotta you know mm. tighten our belts and uh you know make, make do with what we can and and trust that our leaders are doing the right yeah. thing well even in in the the movie well i guess they probably went through this in the book when uh smith gets that book that's like it's not really the dictionary it's the yeah other thing in between. and he's reading it and he's He's talking about uh, he's reading about how ignorance is strength, yeah. and then he reads further on about how the government doesn't actually want the war to end mm -hmm. because if the war ends, then there's a possibility of an uprising. There's a possibility of things changing. There's a possibility of people wanting things, right? Yeah. And that's why they insist on continuously changing things and continuously being in war, just so they can maintain some level of control over everyone yeah and i mean the idea that ignorance is strength was very interesting to me because i think it kind of i, I hate to do this but it kind of brings up what's happening in the states right now 
with you know the guy who's president um because it really is a lot of I, I feel bad saying this because, of course, I don't know everybody who voted for him and all that kind of stuff. And there are people that are, quote unquote, elitists or are part of the elite that did vote for him as well. Yeah. But there's a level of ignorance in those people that he is pandering to that's yeah. allowing them to stay in strength. And the same thing goes for the big brother in this movie, right? Yeah. Where... He keeps they they keep people from knowing anything. They keep people from learning and actually advancing to keep themselves in power. Yeah. And and that seems to be a very strong parallel to what is going on right now. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the movie, uh, O'Brien says like power is is as uh, an end to itself, right? It's just mm. about self perpetuation. Um, uh, and you know, for those who may be listening in the future, uh, we're recording in July 2018. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> just in case there's any ambiguity about, about who, who we're t- talking about, yeah, yeah and yeah. and and assuming that the you know the future thought police haven't come in and erased, <laughs> and erased yeah. the internet will be gone. All yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 funny actually. There's uh, that like in in 1984, his whole job is to go back and meticulously rewrite newspaper articles so that they agree with whatever the the party leader is saying today Mm -hmm. uh whereas now we've got the opposite where it's just like everybody's printing every possible fact and uh so anybody could just choose whichever facts they want and they want to believe yeah and and then so it's it's like a very different vision of Mm -hmm. the same kind of like inability to prove that that something happened in the past well it's it's one of those it's it's the the two ways of of controlling information right it's either control it to the point where nobody gets information or you dilute it to the point that nobody has has any knowledge of what actually anything is um and i guess because we are currently in a society where information as they said a few years ago information is power they are trying to dilute that information so that, you know, nobody has the power to control anything. Right. And I find it I find it weird, but interesting and compelling. And I can't wait till CNN does one of those, you know, look back at the 2000s or, <laughs> the, you know, what, like 30 years from now. And they're like, oh, my God, look at the advances and the cool stuff. And then, ooh, the horrible things that are happening, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. I watched one for the 90s the other day. And I'm like, I was alive in that time. And I didn't remember half of this stuff. And yeah. I was like, Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So we'll see what you know if CNN still exists. That is. Um, yeah. What we will remember from this time period. For sure. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting about the, just like that that control of control of of information, which is a control of reality. You're being yeah. able to verify that what you remember is real. Like mm. so. So Winston can't ever prove that there was a war with Eurasia mm-hmm. because all newspaper articles, everything has said, no, we're at war with East Asia. We've always been at war with East Asia. Mm-hmm. And so when he says, no, but we just changed, like the enemies changed six months ago, mm-hmm. th- there's no way to, there's no there. verify it. Uh, there's no object, source of objective truth. Um, and and so so the, the idea of like, uh, and and I think that they, they O'Brien says this too in in the movie where he's like you know uh, um, the truth is what the party says it is um, and uh, and that and that's uh, just something that's super cool but because you, you you chose these these movies because they were in alphabetical order yeah. off your shelf yeah. but they have this crazy strong connecting theme mm-hmm. between Twelve Monkeys and Nineteen Eighty Four which is the both times they seriously bring up the fact that like uh sanity is majority rules yeah and and so the the idea that like uh like we have two protagonists that doubt their sanity and and believe something that no one else does Mm -hmm. and are trying to convince society at large of something that society does not want to hear yeah so they are both deemed to be crazy yeah deemed to be you know, outsiders and wrong right. because of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I, I and mean, I guess that's how... I mean, they're both dystopian futures, really. And mm-hmm. they're both about places 
like futures where everything has fallen apart. It's, it's society, it's infrastructure, it's information, it's Every, control. Everything, everything but those sweet, sweet opera glasses. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I remember those. They're the beautiful. Cr- cravats. They, they, those scientists, they know how to live. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're out there, you've got to look right for your occasion. Oh, that's great. That's the real point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I actually thought it was really interesting that these two movies were together because there's definitely some areas on that list on my <laughs> shelf where the movies will have nothing in common. Right. Right? Except maybe maybe a time period or maybe like one background actor. Like, that's the same guy in the background of that scene. But trying to segue is going to be real difficult at right, right. the time. No, Thin Red Line and Thundercats. There I, you go. I don't know. I don't know if those are two. I just tried to come up with something. That, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I definitely have some uh, interesting things in there. There's actually a couple of movies in there that I picked up the DVD and I was like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. So we'll see what happens when I get there. Oh, great. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, I think that's a good place to end. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and doing this with me. No problem. Um, and hopefully, maybe you'll come back later on when I find a couple of more movies in there that you enjoy, and you'll come back and join me. Yeah. That would be Happy to. awesome. Uh, so that's it for this inaugural episode of Off My Shelf. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at OhMyShelf, or you can send emails and questions to OhMyShelf at gmail.com. Next time, we'll be talking about 40-year-old virgin and 51st dates. Hope you'll be here to listen.